0: Thanks, Jordan. Yes, I am ready to go and no boom shakalaka here this morning. Not from me anyways. We'll let, leave that for high five and harvest kids. But great to be with you this morning, Harvest family. Uh, great to be able to bring God's word. It's great to be together in this way and to be able to hear God's word together and worship. What a great worship package uh, this morning as we uh, brought our praises to the Lord. So great time together already, and now we're getting into God's Word, and Jordan's right, we're getting a start in Galatians chapter 5. So hopefully you have your Bibles turned open there. Maybe sometimes uh, you hear yourself saying something like this. I'm sure we all do this. It's, it's kind of like we give a commitment. Yes, yes, I'll do that. Yes, but, yes, but, and the word but, when we put it on there, it's it's a caveat or a condition. Uh, we put it on there because we want to give ourselves something of an exception or an exemption to at least part of the thing that we're committing ourselves to. Something that's otherwise clear, but we're giving ourselves an out just in case. An exemption or an exception. It, it's kind of like saying, you know, I know the Bible says, and you can insert your favorite command there, I know the Bible says but, and I create an exception, usually by saying something like, I know the Bible says that, but it isn't that simple. Oh, but it is that simple. The problem isn't the clarity of the Word of God. The problem is that you and I have a tendency to overcomplicate the Christian life, which actually isn't so simple mysterious after all. The Christian life is a simple walk with Jesus. The Christian life is the obvious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's where this new series is taking us. We're going to see that it it isn't difficult to grasp what we ought to do. It is that we just simply failed to do it. We lack the courage very often to follow through on, on these things. And so this 6 message uh, series is a look at the fruit of the Spirit uh, from uh, Galatians 5. That's where we're going to start. And then um, we're going to look at the gifts of the Spirit uh, in uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. That's going to be the six weeks. And uh, what we're going to see in the first part of this series is what we need to be what we need to be in our walk with Christ, and then in the latter part of this series, uh, what we need to do along the way. And so the first part is about the character we need to be developing as the followers of Christ, and uh, then the latter part of the series is uh, the service that we need to be doing uh, for Christ, the passion, the talents that we need to bring to the table. And as we work through these various passages, we're going to see that there is no yes, but, there is only Yes, Lord, I'll be that person. Yes, Lord, I'll do that service for you. And so let's start with the being. The first three weeks here are going to be in the being. Let's start with the being and what the Holy Spirit is producing uh, in us, in our character. And we are in Galatians chapter 5. And I want us just to look at Galatians 5, 22 to 24. But I want us to understand, and I'll I'll talk about this just in in a moment after I read the passage and pray. But I want us to see that it's actually verses 16 through 24 that are the section here. So let's look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, so familiar, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, please, please bless this time. I pray, God, that in every location where where my voice is being heard and this video is being seen, Father. I pray that in each of those places your Holy Spirit would be at work in each heart, in each mind as we're hearing the Word of God together. God, I pray that you would do a miraculous, unbelievable, extraordinary, divine work today in all of our lives as we hear your Word and, God, as we show a willingness simply to obey, to listen, and to be changed by the powerful work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I hope you're saying that where you are. All right, that's Galatians 5, 22 to 24. We've prayed, and then here's the uh, main thing that we're going after. When I'm walking with Christ, I'm going to be producing uh, the uh, fruit of the Spirit in my life. In fact, the Holy Spirit's going to be producing the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And the three we're going to look at today, the first three, verse 22, notice them there. Love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. And to grasp the fullness of what the Apostle is really teaching here, you have to look back again, as I said, to verse 16. Now notice this. You want to see that he's encouraging his readers, underline this in your Bibles, uh, to walk by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit. If you do this, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's encouraging his readers to simply walk with Jesus, and by so doing, you're going to be able to avoid giving in to temptation, and what he lists in verses 19 through 21, which we're not going to read through, the works of the flesh, and he makes it clear when you read that list, it's so daunting, but it's also so revealing. It's it's opening us up, and we're going, like, I can see myself in that list. I do some of these things. I have done some of these things. But what we see is that this is a battle. That, that as we talk about the Spirit, it's counterpointed here with the flesh. And those two are, uh, verse 17 says, opposed to each other. If you happen to have the NIV in front of you, they are in conflict with one another. In other words, this is like a war. And if you're like me, every single day, you're in the battle. You feel the conflict. and When I say that this is simple, as I did in the introduction, I mean, of course, it's simple to understand what's required. It's simple. That's the part that we overcomplicate it. We deny that it's that simple, and, and we add all kinds of complexity to it. But, but it's really quite simple to understand. To look at these nine fruit of the Spirit and to say, I need to have these in my life. And to look at the works of the flesh and to know "I, I need to not have those in my life. That's simple to understand. But nothing about this is simple. It is warfare. It is a pitched battle between your Spirit and your flesh. A pitched battle to live a holy life in a world that is intent on pulling you away from God. Please understand that the culture is at war with you. Your flesh is at war with you. The evil one himself is at war with you. We should never forget that. I mean, your own flesh betrays you. I can get in some ways why Satan is against me. I can get why the world is against me, but my own flesh betrays me. My flesh, my own desires, the text says here, are allied with Satan and with the world against the Spirit, my own Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. But Paul says here, verse 24, but we've crucified, we've crucified the flesh. We've put to death the flesh with its passions and with its desires. And so we have this Holy Spirit in us, this willingness to live for God, to to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh are against us. And, And I think to that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus with the disciples and he had told them to pray and they kept falling asleep and he comes to them and he says to them, the Spirit is willing. That's me. My spirit is willing to live for God. He says the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And boy, do I know that. And I know you know that. It's warfare. It's an all out battle, and we need to remind ourselves of that truth daily. This is not about us even seeking to just be a better person and to employ strategies to have these character traits in our lives. That's not the thing. This isn't character training. This is about Christ in us. This is about us coming to the cross and being crucified with Jesus Christ. Crucifying the flesh, denying ourselves so that the Spirit of God might reign in our lives. And so when I'm walking with Christ, I'll be producing, first of all, that's the background to the whole thing, that's what Paul is setting up here. When I'm walking with Christ, I'll be producing, first of all, love for God and love for people. This is the fruit of the Spirit, that I love God and I love people. And it's little surprise that this appears first, because it is the preeminent command. You remember when Jesus was asked the question, what's the first and greatest commandment? Jesus said, the first and greatest commandment, this is in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he adds, bonus time now, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, he says, hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything else in the Christian life, if you want to understand everything about the Christian life, the starting point is love. That you would love god and that you would love people everything hangs on these two commands and why wouldn't it i mean john told us the apostle john he wrote his first letter and he said this in first john 4 8 he said god is love so of course everything hangs on love because god himself is the embodiment of love But in the first part of that little verse, if you take that out, God is love. But look at the whole verse. Anyone who does not love, anyone who does not have the fruit of the Spirit of love in their life, anyone who does not love does not know God. I mean, I don't know if you have the word ouch in the the margins of your Bible beside that line. If you don't love, you don't know God. You can call yourself a Christian, but if you don't love, you don't know God. Why? He gives the answer, because God is love. If you have God, you have love. The fruit of the, lo- of the Spirit of love is being produced in your life. No love, no claim to Christ. And in the passage, if you look at, 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 at much of what he teaches in 1 John, he makes it clear that this is about loving people. In fact, is the evidence of loving God. Now think of all the applications to that. If you claim Christ, you say you're a Christian, and you have anything but love for someone of a different race, then you have no claim on Christ. If if you have anything but love for those who are gay, then you have no claim on Christ. If you have anything but love for the rich, Or for the poor. And depending on what side of the spectrum you're on. You could actually not really like the person on the other end. Then you have no claim on Christ. And I know there's a lot of pressure on marriages these days. But if you have anything but love for your own spouse. The person to whom you pledged your life. The person who you stood in front of. As witnesses watched you make vows if you have anything but love for them, and yet call yourself a Christian, you have no claim to love God. The fruit of the Spirit is not being produced in you. The stakes are high. This is the first command and the second command, and everything hangs on these two. In the upper room discourse, Jesus said to his disciples, and and as a consequence, he said it to, to me and you, John 13, 34 to 35 said, A new commandment I give to you. A commandment! A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. Now remember how he loved us. He loved us by being crucified for us. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this and someone who would lay down his life for his friends greater love has no one but this i mean jesus demonstrated the greatest love you could possibly show he gave his life for us so we have to love that you love one another just as i have loved you love others in a self-sacrificing way love others in an unconditional way that's the love of god he goes on to say by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another In other words, the foundational evangelistic strategy that Jesus tells the church to employ is to love one another inside the church family and to let the world see that, how much we love one another, and then want in on it. That's the primary evangelistic strategy. Love for one another in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them all. Now, Here's the problem. If you spend any time at all on social media, on Facebook or Twitter especially, you know how poorly Christians treat one another. Now the thing about social media is that all of your friends and all of your followers, whether they are believers or not, can watch all of the things that you're doing on social media. You are letting your works be known before the entire world. And when you treat another Christian poorly... The unbelievers look at that and go, well, that is not love, and I don't want in on that. There's enough angst and anger in the world. Why would I go into a church context and see the same thing? I'm just telling you, Christians are behaving very poorly on social media toward one another. Social media makes it pretty obvious that Christians cannot disagree. They cannot disagree amicably but are in fact awful to one another, and why would any non-Christian want into the church based on how we treat each other? It's a toxic environment, and if you want to have the Holy Spirit produce love, the fruit of love in your life, then you may need to make a different decision about where you hang out. Christian, if you want to know that the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of love in your life, then listen, run all of your conversations, run all of your attitudes, run all of your actions, run it all through the grid of love. And in order to do that, we need to have this like spot-on definition of what that is. In other words, if we're going to filter it through the filter of love, what is that filter made up of? Well... The apostle Paul gave us this over in 1 Corinthians 13, a very familiar passage. And you're going to run every conversation, every interaction, every action, every attitude, you're going to run it all through this grid. 1 Corinthians 13:4-7, love is patient and kind. Is everything that I do on social media, is everything that I do in every attitude and every action, every single one of them, is it patient and is it kind? Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. So much here. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. That means love believes the best of people. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Now, that's, that's wonderful just even to think about that, what love is. But remember, if we go back to 1 John 4, 8, we remember that God is love. And you can take this very same passage and you take out the word love because God is love. God is the very embodiment of love. It is the essence of His character. So now you pop in the word God there instead of love and read the passage again. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on His own way. God is not irritable. God is not resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing. God rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. That's the Lord, that's the God we worship and serve. But then we need to take it another step further than that because the application of this is that the fruit of the Spirit is being born in my own life because I have Christ in my life. So now I need to do it with my own name. And I need to see where I'm landing with respect to love being produced in my life. You could do this for your own name. Todd is patient and kind. Deanna does not envy or boast. Ricardo is not arrogant or rude. Kim does not insist on her own way. Rob is not irritable or resentful. Steph does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. John bears all things. Lisa believes all things. Peter hopes all things. Sandra endures all things. Now, if after doing that, you feel so far from the mark, the good news is that that's the Holy Spirit working in your life right now, and there's time to make some changes, to keep making progress, and to surrender the Holy Spirit, so He's working to produce that in your life. That's that's the good news. You're concerned about it. But if you have no concern for that, and you can't picture your name in that passage, or you don't think you have any issue with any of this, then that's a whole different problem. Each of us needs to determine to surrender more fully to the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of love in our lives. All right, when I'm walking with Christ, I'll be producing love and also joy in my heart. Now you have to appreciate that having a joy that transcends anything that I'm facing that's a uniquely Christian trait. We have this joy not because, you know, like so many people we are uh, might be uh, we, we might be predisposed to just being a happy person to just having a positive upward looking perspective on life and I get that those kind of people exist. But it is because my Perspective on life, even my worldview is re, is rooted now. My perspective, my worldview is rooted in eternal truth and in the hope of being with Jesus Christ. That it's something more than just outward happiness and positivity. I have this joy when I know that everything around me is fleeting, and I'm not going to look to those things to satisfy me. S.D. Gordon. Uh, wrote this, joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. He says it's the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. Joy has its springs deep down inside, and that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy, singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. And Christian, you ought to have that joy. If you have Jesus, you ought to have that joy in your life as well. The psalmist wrote, and and we should be able to say, Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the paths of life. You've given to me salvation. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not temporal, not fleeting, but eternal. Notice the truth that's there, the foundation and source of the joy that we have is eternal truth. It's not based on anything we know from this world. Peter said this in 1 Peter one eight: Though you have not seen Him, none of us have seen Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And and rejoice with joy. Notice how he's doubled it up. Both words are, are about joy. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. By faith, we don't see him. We believe by faith. By faith, in a Savior we don't even see, we have this inexpressible joy. And so the source is not in us to conjure up. But it's entirely the work of God. It's in Christ. Jude, Jesus' half-brother, in this amazing benediction in his short letter toward the end of the New Testament, he said this, this is Jude, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, man, I want to be kept from stumbling, and to present me blameless before the presence of his glory, I want to get there with great joy. He does it. He presents me. He gives it. He presents us into glory. And if you know and love Jesus Christ, if you're walking with Him, you ought to be joyful in Him. And if you have no joy right now, You step back and ask yourself, why? If I profess faith in Christ, if my sins have been forgiven, if I have this trajectory that I'm on to be in heaven with him, then why, why, why do I have no joy? Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, said this, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Now, just like you would if you own a home and you see water on the floor, you're going to trace it and it comes up from under this cupboard and it's over here and it's leaking out of here and and, and then you're going to open up the wall and you're going to get in there and you're going to fix the leak. So how can we fix the leak? How can we patch the hole It's leaking out the joy in our lives? Well, first of all, let's ask a couple of diagnostic questions. Maybe uh, the leak is that you're not even a Christian yet. Maybe you're just going through the motions. Maybe you've been raised in the church. Maybe you've always been aware of God, but you've never actually committed yourself to Him. Maybe you've attached yourself to the church, but you've never actually said the words of commitment to Christ to invite Him into your life. And, And so maybe the joy isn't there because you're not a Christian yet. Or maybe... Maybe it's because you are a Christian, but you have unconfessed and undealt with sin in your life. Maybe the leak is that you refuse to reconcile with someone that you're at odds with. You're you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe that's the leak. And some of you right now need to drop to your knees and confess and repent. Make things right. And get the joy flowing in your life again. But I'm walking with Christ, I'm going to be producing love, joy, and then here's the third one, peace in all circumstances. Again, Galatians 5.22, this is our principal passage, the fruit of the Spirit, notice, is love, joy, and peace. And these three lay the groundwork for the other six that we're going to look at. In essence, the ability to have joy, the ability to love, to have love in our hearts It depends on whether or not we are at peace. Reconciliation has to happen first. And, and in this point, I wrote that we would have peace in all circumstances, but it's much more than just circumstances. It's much more than just saying, you know, I lost my job and I'm, I'm pretty much at peace with it, or I got some bad news from the doctor, but I really think I'm okay with whatever God has for me. It's much more than that. Those are circumstances, but this peace means that I'm actually, ready for this now, this peace means that I'm in a good place with God, that I'm in a good place with people, that I'm a good place with myself, and I'm in a good place with whatever circumstances, non-people related circumstances happen to come my way. I'm at peace with all of that. God, others, myself, and circumstances. Is the Spirit of God producing that peace in your life? Is that fruit there? A peace by definition is often described in the negative negative. Uh, what is peace? We often say, well, peace is the absence of strife. It's the absence of conflict. It's the absence of anxiety. When we look at the two Bible words that are translated peace, remember that the Old Testament is primarily written in Hebrew. The, Greek, um, is, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. And so the two key uh, Bible words, the Hebrew one you know very well, is shalom. That's peace. The Greek word is erene. Both mean... Of The presence of good things, so not just defining the negative as the absence of things, but peace is the presence of good things. It's blessing abundance in my life. It's to have uh, this peace and and to be complete, sound, and whole, it speaks to, when I have this peace, it speaks to my overall well-being as a person. And and if, as a Jewish person, would you greet someone, because they use this as a greeting in Hebrew... You greet someone with a shalom or if you even, you know, flash them the, the peace sign. If you were to do either of these things, then you're saying, I want good things for you. I want you to prosper. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be healthy. I want good things in your life because when you have all of that, there's no doubt we would all agree when things are all going our way, when all our relationships are in a good place and we have enough money to pay the bills and, and we're, we're healthy, when we have all of that, we would describe, you know what? Things are pretty peaceful right now. Things are going well. There's a sense of well-being about all of this. And so we have that peace in our lives. So how do I produce that? How do I get that? Because I have to believe that everybody who's listening to this message right now wants that kind of peace in their life. Why would anybody want anything other than that? The world has no clue on how to deliver this. And again, a quick look at social media, or if you read the news at all, you know that the world is at odds with everyone else in the world. has no real answer for how to bring about peace and reconciliation. In fact, in our day, we're finding people are more polarized than at any other time in history. The world has no clue how to find peace. The world, in fact, is characterized by the opposite of peace. The world is characterized by strife and conflict and anxiety. And the starting point for finding peace isn't just to have a conversation with people. And if only we would be more educated about this. And and how can we get people to see it our way? It's not that. The starting point for having peace in our lives is with God. We have to start with God, and this is where the world fails because the world wants to find a solution that does not include God at all. We're all the way back to the book of Genesis. We're all the way back to to humanity building a tower to prove just how uh, ingenious we are and how resourceful we are and how, uh, how strong we are and to demonstrate to God that we can make it on our own world sees no room for God, and at best pays lip service to Him. But we have to get to a good place with God, with people, with ourselves, and with the circumstances of life. And so, with regard to God, Ephesians 2, uh, 13 to 16 informs us, but now, this is actually just a portion of that passage, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, that's all of us, you who are once far off, in other words, separate it. A dividing wall of hostility, we'll see in a moment, was between you and God and me and God. You've been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our, there's the word, He's our peace, who has made us both one, He's brought us together and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And again, if you've not been brought near by the blood of Christ, you need to go to Him now. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ, you can't therefore have the love of God in your life, and you're not going to have the joy of Jesus Christ in your life, unless you are first reconciled to God, unless the dividing wall for you has been torn down, unless you come by the blood of Jesus Christ to God, that you would admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. That you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He gave His life for you on the cross and satisfied God's wrath over your sin, and that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. You need to do that, or peace will always elude you. You'll strive after it and never find it. God wants us to be reconciled to Him in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. Well, that's God. And then once we've settled with God, we need to think about settling with people. And I love Romans 12, 18. If possible, Paul writes, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I wonder if we've just resigned ourselves. We live in an angry world. We're going to be angry with each other. We're going to be nasty to one another. There's just going to be a lot of dissonance and and division in the world today, and we just resign ourselves to it. And We throw our hands up in the air. We use that emoji, and we say, we're done. I'm not even going to try anymore. Peace will never be gained. And yet for the follower of Jesus Christ, here's the Here's the, the, the instructions of, of Paul, of the Holy Spirit, through Paul, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Have you done everything that you can possibly do to reconcile with a person? I get that some things won't be reconciled, but have you done everything you can do to be reconciled? To live peaceably with all. In fact, Romans 14, 19, just a little bit further along in the same letter, Paul writes, so then, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. Let's actually go after this. And for mutual upbuilding, up, up let's go after this and let's never stop pursuing what makes for peace. Are we doing all that we can to live at peace with people around us? Or are you and I contributors to dissension and conflict? If we are, we need to repent and make a change. We need to find peace. And then peace with ourselves. Peace with God, peace with people, peace with ourselves. I'll say simply that peace with yourself, as some people might even say, you know, I just haven't forgiven myself. Some people might put it that way. Peace with ourselves is about being at peace with God. That's what it's really about. It's about being at peace with God And then accepting the truths about sin and salvation. And if you can reconcile yourself to God, if you can reconcile yourself to people, if you can reconcile yourself to yourself, then the circumstances of life are going to be mere details in your life. Events in time that we simply react to as Christians, full of faith and confidence in the God who loves us, who wants good things for us, and who has promised us something far better beyond this life. And knowing that truth and resting it is what produces the fruit of peace in our lives as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so that's it. It's, it's not so mysterious after all, is it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And are these being produced in your life? And so it's, there's no yes Lord, yes, Lord, but there's no yes, but with God. No conditions, no caveats, no exceptions, no exemptions. Simple surrender to the Holy Spirit to have him do his work in us. A simple walk with Jesus Christ that produces this fruit in our life. Now, I believe that there's more, of a, more than a few of us who are hearing this message today who need a moment of personal revival as a result of hearing this passage and this message. More than a few of us have let things slide. You've made excuses. You've given yourself a pass. You've made the present crisis that we're in You've taken this new abnormal that we find ourselves in. And you've used it as an excuse to slack off on all of these things we've talked about. And the fruit of the Spirit is not being produced in your life. So it's time to turn that around. It's time to get back in step with Jesus, to walk with Christ. It's time to surrender to the Holy Spirit for what He wants to produce in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, these are um, sobering words and yet so very simple to grasp. And I pray, God, that first of all, there would be prayers of repentance happening for how we have complicated our faith, complicated what you have made so simple. Father, forgive us for making excuses and putting conditions on our obedience and giving ourselves an out. Forgive us, Father, for not working relentlessly to allow your Holy Spirit to have free reign in our lives to produce love, joy, and peace. So God, I pray that you would hear these prayers and be merciful to us yet again and forgive us. Be patient with us as we faultingly, often stumbling, seek to walk with our Savior. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ.